teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Just a catching strays over here. <laughs> You're in for a hell of a show. Keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs. It's time for our main event. Holy cats. Yep, that's the leader of the free world. Oh. Oh, that, oh. I mean, that was the most incredible video, and it reminded me of my favorite clip that Rush used to play all the time about Ted Kennedy. I'm sure we don't have it loaded in the system, but you guys remember when Ted Kennedy's like, an old Kennedy, and, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and Rush played it over and over and over again. God bless Rush Limbaugh. I wish I he was still I feel like around. it's been a long time since we just like honed in on the weekly insanity of of Joe Biden. Yeah. But like you got to hear this one more. Let's just listen to one more time. Wolf, can we load this one more time? Like the the audio alone. You hear that and it's just like, well, that's uh, where we are. Oh. That's where we are. Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't Mess with them in America unless you want to get the benefit. What? Okay. <laughs> like, what? Honestly, what could he, unless I, you want to get the benefit? What, what, is, a, what, you, what is he taught? <laughs> like, what, what was it supposed to be? What was that supposed to be? That's the thing be? is, it's, it's usually at moments like that, <laughs> if, if you're surrounded by people who care about you, they ask you questions like, you know, are you smelling toast? <laughs> Can you feel your fingertips and toes? You draw take a them, clock. You know, like you, you draw, draw a clock. <laughs> Have a sip of water. Start checking vitals. Sit, sit down, Dad. Yeah, I, I mean, like that is a, a very place for mom. Yeah, that, that's a very concerning type of situation. But, but, but they're running. They're straight up running that guy. They're running that guy. They're running. They're straight up running that guy. I have to tell you about this game-changing product I use before a night out with drinks. It's called Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Z-Biotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before drinks, I notice a difference the next day. Even after a night out, I can confidently come in and record Ruthless without worry. Super Bowl Sunday is right around the corner. Because of Z-Biotics, I'm confident I can enjoy the game without worrying about how productive I'll be at work come Monday morning. Go to zbiotics.com ruthless to get 15% off your first order when you use Ruthless at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So remember, head to zbiotics.com ruthless and use the code ruthless at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Amazing. And so this show is going to be fantastic. Part of that is the reason that they're running that guy. And the guest we have today is Charlie Spearing, who wrote in just an incredible book about Kamala Harris uh, called Amateur Hour. Mm -hmm. Perfect you, name. That you have to you have to read, you have to check it out because it explains, you know, through your inference throughout reading about Kamala Harris, 
why they're running this yeah, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I it's think a the, dilemma. The average, <laughs> the average American sits back and they, they look at that and they're like, that's the only way you guys can lose. Because right? as bad as that is, she is even worse. <laughs> She's even worse. <laughs> Imagine that. And, and that's and that's the thing that I mean we endeavor to provide here in the Ruthless Variety program is some level of detail as to why irrational decision making is made. Mm. And that this is a this is the ultimate. Like we get a lot of that in terms of like legislation, in terms of like uh, Senate candidates, House candidates, things like that. This is the ultimate irrational decision really making. Is. Like mm. let's put the guy out that sixty percent of the American people. No, can't do the job. Yeah. But because the alternative, we're cooked. It's incredible. We, are, we, we think we can convince enough people to vote for a guy who we know can't do the job, but I'm not sure we can convince the majority of people to vote for the alternative. It's incredible. Especially when they know the rest of the story. Anyway, Charlie Spearing, a good friend of the program, is on later in the show to talk about that. Um, clearly the news this week is the New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go upshot. Smug, like, what's the, what's, what's your upshot of this deal? So I actually did, like, a little bit of a deep dive before today's episode, and I crunched some numbers. I looked at some data, because there's going to be a lot of talk about, okay, what can we extrapolate on this based on previous New Hampshire primaries? Because there was a talk of, is Iowa representative? Because turnout was lower. It was turnout lower just because of whether it was. It was under 15. It was 14.4%. It was a wildly low number. So we saw in the New Hampshire primary, it's projected, you've got about 323,000 people cast their vote. Which is a record. Huge number. Yeah. To put that in perspective, in 2016, it was 260,000. I mean, and think about that. At the time, in 2016, everybody discussed what maximum turnout looked like in the era of Trump. And they were mm-hmm. like, wow, this is going to be a very different ball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they thought that was kind of the high watermark. This just blew right through that. Yeah. And then you look at 2012, 2008, and 2000. Those are all about 230, 240,000. 2016 hits 260,000. 2024, 320,000. Yeah. Right. Wow. So it's so a big just number. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge turnout to begin huge. with. And then you look at the percentages that the winner takes down, right? So in 2000, you had McCain won the New Hampshire primary 48.5%. Mm-hmm. 2008, McCain won 37%. 2012, Romney won 39%. 2016, Trump wins with 35%. And then 2024, Trump wins 54.5%. Yeah, now, now it's can, a convincing win. Now, mm-hmm. it, no question, but contextualizing all of that, uh, the one thing that wasn't totally anticipated was the consolidation of the field before the New Hampshire primary. Yep. In each and every one of those races that you're talking about, maybe not the McCain-Bush situation back still, in I 2000, mean, the, the which was thing is there was still a bundle there. There was like Alan Keyes was in there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there were still people, yeah, no question. Yeah. But, but like this one had credible candidates from the jump. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, you had former vice presidents and senators and like – I mean, people who could do the job. It wasn't That's Alan what... Keyes. I mean, it was like, with all due respect to Alan Keyes, it wasn't him. It was like, there are people who are legitimate presidential candidates all the way through here that are all gone before it was, that. Moment. Yeah, so this was an extremely unique New Hampshire primary because of that. You didn't have as wide a field as you typically have at this point. Iowa did a, a far better job winnowing the field than 
I can remember. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just cut, cut the field down, and then you had DeSantis drop even before New Hampshire. And that's the whole point, by the way, of Iowa. Everybody was like, oh, is it representative? Oh, is it this, that? No, no, no. It's about whether you can compete. Yep. And whether you can compete is a significant aspect to whether or not you earn that nomination. Mm -hmm. And there's an awful lot of people who got out either before or immediately after it. Yeah. And I think what is really interesting about this dynamic is, so you had DeSantis drop, you know, very, very close to the date of the primary, right? So it was essentially a three-person race until like, 36 hours totally before votes are being yeah. cast. There was no there was no chance of like a reconsolidation or a, a major shift. Yeah. It was very very quick. So I think so my theory right now is the the Nikki Haley campaign is thinking we've heard for years uh, on the Republican side of wow would would 2016 have been different mm -hmm. if one of these candidates had been able to go head to head. If it had not been at the end, you know, you had like Kasich and Cruz and then Rubio was staying in too long. And, you know, there was never a, a head to head against Trump because the whole theory was, oh, in a head to head, you know, a, a, a conservative Republican candidate could defeat Trump. Yeah. I don't think we can get proof either way of, of whether we conclusively see a result of that theory out of not New in Hampshire. 16. No, well, uh, no, we didn't see it in 16. I mean, out of last night. I don't oh, think, or, okay. or, or out of New Hampshire. I don't think we really conclusively saw a head-to-head. -head. Yeah. And my theory is that the, the Nikki Haley campaign is seeing this as, like, maybe South Carolina at the very least. It's her home state. More, yeah. Uh, you know, Two-term governor. Two-term governor can be more of a place that they can try to display what a head-to-head -head would look like. Because That's for so long, mm -hmm. conservatives said, I wonder what if— yeah, there had been that head to head, and looking at her uh, fundraising schedule, I mean, these are some of the top Republican donors mm -hmm. that you could hope to have mm -hmm. that she has lined up for events. Which is why you know there was this random speculation of is she going to drop out if she doesn't win New Hampshire? I saw the like you know fundraising events she has lined up. She will have financial resources to weather the next four weeks at the very least. Mm -hmm. And the, and the Trump campaign is doing – look, this is the inside baseball that we let you in on. The, the, the Trump campaign is doing an admirable job of trying to close the door here. Incredible job. They're, they're going to anybody and everybody who has a microphone and a following and saying like, okay, now are we good? Like, get on board for the big win because this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. and now's your time. And to me, like the most convincing thing that – Trump has accomplished is when you saw him giving his victory speech at New Hampshire, it was basically a lineup behind him of people who had run against him. And yeah, well, that's him. what he does it's best. Decision. It's, no, it's, it's great, the it's, full it, bore on the to, floor, to right? Show, to show voters that <laughs> it's, it's convincing. It's like, listen, everyone's getting in line. Everyone's getting in line. So that's the, the, the Trump campaign's focus essentially is we want to make the case clear for folks that this is a wrap. This is over. Let's focus on Joe Biden. And I think the Nikki campaign's whole premise right now would be, let's, test the, let's get the, let's test the theory of the head-to-head. -head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Johnny, what's your... Well, I think that obviously Nikki has financial resources. Obviously, she has a very, very talented team uh, across the map, including in New Hampshire. And I think the fact that 
Trump won so convincingly in New Hampshire is a testament to the strength of Trump's organization. We've said it over and over again on this program, and you'll hear us say it until the end of this campaign. I love seeing the angry tweets at Ashbrook for being like, why do you keep saying these? Can I take that off on your behalf for a minute? Look... (laughs) I, keep real, attacking Ashbrook, the, people. Please, like, keep, please keep attacking Ashbrook. I'm not. I'm not uh, trying to convince you out of that. People are conducting full-on seminars <laughs> in my mentions. <laughs> but 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 here's the thing that we do on the Variety program: we tell you the truth as we see it. There is an awful lot what I call critters, and the critters are they get in whatever camp they feel like they have that most benefits themselves. And at the end, they scurry like critters mm. to whatever camp they believe is going to ultimately win. Now, you can go back and check the tape on all of that. Nobody ever does. Nobody holds anybody accountable. But they've been all over the map up until the point where now they're all like, well, Donald Trump is God's savior. And that's where we're at. Look, we don't, we're going to give you on this program exactly what we think the situation is all the way through. When Ron DeSantis launched his campaign on Twitter spaces, we had a lot to say about that. We felt like that was a real problem and a harbinger of things to come, and we went off on it. We got roasted on Twitter by a bunch of you who listened to this program, but we're right. On Main Street, local credit unions and community banks are the heart of our small towns. So when these institutions are united in opposition to the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill, Congress should listen. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill favors corporate megastores like Walmart and Target, shifting costs and risks unfairly onto the credit unions, community banks, and the 135 million customers they serve. Tell Congress to protect America's credit unions and community banks and oppose the Durbin-Marshall credit card bill. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org to take action. We told you from the start, that watch out for the Trump campaign. They're doing things differently this time around. And, and I, I think that I think what you saw in New Hampshire is yep. proof of that because they were neck and neck with Nikki. There, there was a thought that Trump was going to lose New Hampshire mm-hmm. ahead of Iowa. And that was a legitimate yep. possibility. But what they did in New Hampshire was they found every single Republican voter that they could come up with and they put him in the bank and they put him in the bank and they worked it the way that you always are supposed to work it. And in, an, and, in a, and in a night when you had record turnout, it worked out for them. And that's the thing is like, you know, uh, I do encourage the folks to continue attacking Ashbrook on Twitter. I think no, that's, that's a, a smart idea. thing I mean, to do. Go for it. But, the, you, you but it to. doesn't matter how many times he brings up the, the stone cold fact that this is a very different Trump campaign. They're extremely organized. They're, they have very talented professionals who know how to conduct an actual reputable turnout operation, and we've now seen that twice. Yeah, listen, Susie like Wiles and point, Chris Lasavita are a real deal. Yeah, at some point, people and, are going to recognize, and Alex Leacham, who's his early state director, yep, a, yep. a guy who I know is an absolute professional, yep. attention to detail like none other. I mean, these folks are very serious about what they do. And so I think there's been this kind of like characterization of that, like, well, because Trump, you know, when he's in front of the mic, it's like free flowing and it's fun. So the campaign itself might be that you've got the candidate at the top, Trump, who will have these rallies and he's free flowing and everything. And then what you do not see is out in the field, there's killers out there just Mm -hmm. marching along, grinding it out. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So 
the only reservation I have in the following take is is in context with what you're saying, mm-hmm. in that they are focused, they've figured out how to win the day and how to win the next election. My biggest concern about the Trump campaign from day one was that 46% ceiling mm. and whether or not it was possible for Donald J. Trump, not the movement, not the policies, not the, but whatever, he's ubiquitously known and everyone you know has an opinion about him. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for him to change minds to get to a majority status to win a general election? I remain concerned about that. Part of that New Hampshire situation was the concern. Like, it's a great primary talking point for Donald Trump and everybody else to say, like, we consolidated conservatives. We consolidated Republicans. Like, 505, which means, like, the most likely primary voters, mm-hmm. overwhelmingly chose Donald Trump. Yeah. The most conservative parts of the electorate overwhelmingly chose Donald Trump. The center right and center left did not, also overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. also overwhelmingly. So, in the context of a primary, that's terrific news for Donald Trump. Does it give me some concern about all of the concerns yeah. I had in a general election going into this? You bet it does. Mm-hmm. It validates it. It makes me more concerned about whether or not they've fixed any sort of. I mean, the conventional wisdom in conservative circles right now is that Joe Biden is so weak, so anemic, so old, and has such a bad record on things that people care about that it doesn't matter. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, I don't buy it. I think you're bringing up a really good point. And for me, my like macro takeaway from New Hampshire was... I mean, we all saw the numbers. We all saw, you know, uh, Trump won. But looking at the numbers and the themes, I think, that lead to this outcome, my thinking is more of, okay, so Trump's victory in my mind is predicated upon he made the issue about what primary voters care about. He has the ability to sway what Republican primary voters care about. Because if, like the, the, the Nikki campaign has tried to predicate, this is about is who can beat Biden the most. Like you frequently hear her say, if you look at polling of all the candidates, I beat Biden by the biggest margin. But Trump has made it so that that is not the primary concern of Republican primary voters. Yeah. That's not what they are looking for. Well, and, 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 and conversely, I mean, I think I tweeted this out on Tuesday night. Um, I think the, the oh, yeah, this number I thought is... from the beginning, the one argument that the, the field, not necessarily Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or anybody, but the field mm-hmm. needed to win was that Donald Trump was not a viable general election candidate. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the exit polling out of New Hampshire, only 15% or so even factored that in yeah. to their decision making. And out of that 15%, People thought he was a more formidable candidate than anybody else in the field. Mm -hmm. If you're not winning that question, what are we doing here? Because that that is the only question that Republicans have to ask themselves. I mean, look, ideology, let's just be honest. In a context of a primary, and I think I saw an awesome La Civita quote 
that was like uh, she was a blank canvas and we had a bucket of paint. Mm-hmm. Where it's like everybody's now convinced that Nikki Haley is some like liberal corporatist. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, she was the UN ambassador for Donald Trump. Right, right, she, right. You know what I mean? Right, she's like conservative. But, but like on the issues, there's not a lot of difference between any of these candidates. Right. The question is how they're defined and how they're not. And she was defined with a huge segment of the New Hampshire voter base that ultimately voted for Donald Trump is like a corporatist uh, mm-hmm. kind of left of center Republican. In reality, what they had to convince in order to win that was she's a regular Republican, believes the same things you do. The difference is that she's got a 15 point lead on Joe Biden and he's neck and neck. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do that. And it's not, I'm not blaming the Nikki Haley campaign because nobody's been able to, Ron DeSantis tried it for six months and couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Pence tried to do it. Chris Christie tried to do it. I mean, the most, <laughs> the luminaries of the Republican Party over the last 10 years have all tried to do it and haven't been able to do it. So it's no fault of their own. But that's the art. If you're going to see any change, that's the only one that matters, in my view. Yeah, I, that's it. That, that is the heart of it right there. And to me, it seems like the only way to overtake Trump would be to make the, the electorate care about that issue. And none of these candidates have been able to. Well, it, it, well I, think, I think there's another way to overtake Trump is just to be better than him at his own game. And nobody is. Like, well, nobody, like, nobody can nobody do that. Is. But that's not, I mean, look, it's not Nikki Haley's game. And to her credit, she's the only one that didn't try to play his game. Yeah, And I think that's the only reason why she's left standing is that she's run her own campaign with Which, her own message. She didn't try to be trump light. Right. She, she right. tried, right. She, she tried right. to be Nikki Haley. Right. And we said it, look, when she came in here for the first, immediately after she announced her presidential ambitions, mm-hmm. and she came in here at our old desk, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is embarrassing, by the way. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we had her in here on that. And... All of us at the end of it came away with saying like, whoa, there's something a little different. Mm -hmm. There's something a little different. It seems much more authentic than the Nikki Haley that we've been publicly scheduled to receive, you know, where she's reading somebody's talking points and doing somebody's deal. Like it felt like it was a lot more authentic. She ran her whole campaign like that. Yeah. And. You know, I think Ron DeSantis got there at the end of the campaign where he was doing yeah. that same thing. If he started the campaign where she started the campaign, the authentic Ron DeSantis, which is nowhere near what the authentic Nikki Haley is like, he could have had a different outcome, too. But it seems like she might be sticking around a little bit. I so. think she's going to be. Let's put up, first of all, let's put up the, the results of the New Hampshire. This is graphic one. So what you're going to see here, it, it's an 11-point lead. Right, eleven point win, um, which is big, and in the context that you put it in, the biggest in recent history. Yeah. Any Republican over fifty in New Hampshire, huge. It, it, that has been a, a a game over set match type deal. The difference here is the consolidation of the field put Nikki Haley up at forty three, which also in all the results that yep. you read. The winners weren't at 43. Yeah. And, and so that, I thought that was really interesting. And I think that's the whole dynamic is the argument that the Haley campaign needs to make 
in the next four weeks is there's been all this talk of, oh, you know, this candidate, if they could have gotten a one-on-one showdown with Trump, mm-hmm. they could have, this is it. They've, they've gotten what they've asked for. They've, they've, every candidate dreamed of having the one-on-one against Trump. They've all thought, oh, you know, you put me one-on-one Trump, I could take him. Right. That, it's going to be South Carolina. Yeah, I, totally. So here, here's the clip of Haley's speech. If we can just give a quick clip, uh, number two. Now you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. my sweet state of South Carolina. So there's good arguments on both sides of this Mm -hmm. discussion. If you're a Republican who is absolutely dead set on getting Joe Biden out of the White House, of which we consider ourselves one of those, um, there's two paths that we're discussing here. The first is the guy won the first two. He won in hostile territory here where people could credibly say it was the best chance for him to get knocked off. And he won by double digits. Mm-hmm. And it's time to get about a general election. That, that, that is one set of, mm-hmm. of arguments, which I think does have credibility. Does. This is, this is what the Trump campaign is pushing really hard right now. Yeah, but I think it's a good argument. The other side of this is Nikki Haley's point of view. One, she's going home to South Carolina mm-hmm. four weeks from now. Um, if she's going to put up a, a game-changing performance in her home state, is it probably a pretty good place to start? And you ought to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and I think this is this is like a larger debate that I'm just not sure how I come down on, to be honest. Which is, it's a debate that Democrats ought to have and don't, mm-hmm. where you have uh, an 80-year-old nominee. And in our case, one with 91 indictments and all kinds of court trials. And you saw the shift in media coverage, by the way, yesterday, Mm -hmm. the day that he won New Hampshire. It immediately changed from like process stories about the Trump campaign. I'm glad you brought this up because this this gets to my. To to, to like all of a sudden, you know, all the bad things and and realization why you shouldn't vote for. So the, the entire establishment of this country, whether it's media entertainment, higher education, corporate uh, interests or whatever, mm-hmm. are, are the, the, the debate shifts and sh- it shifted yesterday. Yep. Right? But it didn't shift all the way. It, it, it didn't. Let me, let me just finish the thought. Her point being, if you don't have an alternative, mm-hmm. if you have somebody with zero delegates, if something happens here, what do you do? What would you do? I mean, I'm sure there's a process at the RNC. And I think this is a very unlikely, let me just say at the outset, this is a very unlikely set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. 
but it's like going into an NFL season without a backup quarterback. So, so interestingly, I think this has been when I, when I earlier brought the point that Trump has been able to make the issue that Republican primary voters care about not be who is up the most on Joe Biden, right? Mm -hmm. I think part of what's made it so difficult for all of his opponents is when these charges come in and mm -hmm. like, they look like absolute trash. It's like trumped up, like trumped up garbage. Yeah. Just, just get Trump stuff. You know, these, these people who ran on, I will charge Trump with crimes getting elected on that and then charging him with just absurd, absurd charges. Right. I think that you saw in the polling, that's when DeSantis's numbers started to descend rapidly and Trump's started to ascend rapidly. Yeah. He made the issue Republican voter Republican primary voters seeing that, yes, this system is screwed up. Right. And that's what got him the win the first time is you know, a, a large body of this country is saying that like these institutions, everything that I you know, uh, we were told is is supposed to be on our side is not working. It's screwy. And they're actually against us. And I think that has really powered him to these two victories because he's made the issue that Republican primary voters care about that the system is screwed, they've screwed me, and they've screwed Trump, and I'm going to stand with him. So I, I understand all, all of that that you're saying. Let me just say quickly, I, I get why the Trump campaign is saying we need the camp. We need to be over. We need to consolidate. We need to focus on Biden. That, that makes perfect sense from their standpoint. Of course, they're going to be saying that. I understand why Nikki Haley, who actually scored above 40 in New Hampshire, is saying we're taking this to South Carolina, her home state. She's one statewide there twice. We're going to continue on. She's got money. She's got talent. I understand why she's saying that. Both sides are allowed to participate in the process. Let me give you a perspective on why it might actually be beneficial for Trump to have this continue. Because a conflict between Donald Trump and another Republican has to be covered by the press. Yep. And it actually makes Trump look pretty good that he dominates his Republican opponents in Iowa and New Hampshire and whatever other state that he's running against. It also in. prolongs the onslaught against him. It runs the clock. Yeah. Mm. And the second that he is the nominee and there is no other conflict among Republicans, it turned the conversation in the mainstream media turns entirely from something about presidential politics and who wants a border wall and who wants lower taxes directly from that to criminal trial. Yep. And mm -hmm. the, That's a very the good presidential point. coverage from the mainstream media will be wall-to-wall -wall criminal trial yep. start to finish. The and media so, coverage, you're right, it'll go instantly from Republican primary to attack Trump. So I think he's he's in a situation right now where you've got, you know, 75 network embeds headed to South Carolina to talk about South Carolina to say, well, maybe Nikki Haley still has a chance. And at the end of the day, Trump probably wins there. But you have conflict they must cover that is about presidential politics. And they say they want to talk about Biden. I understand why they want to talk about Biden. They are talking about Biden. Well, and so is everybody else. So I mean, the, the thing that they've got going for them is that there's heated conflict in Congress anyway. It's not like there's not a criticism of Biden that's being levied currently. 
I mean, the man's numbers are in the low 30s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. this old bastard's been right. taking heat from every corner forever. And it's the one safe place for Republicans to be during the course of a primary. So you're going to have a huge echo chamber right. of, of Republicans who are focused fire on Biden regardless. I understand. Look, from a practical standpoint, they, look, these guys are really smart. Mm-hmm. And they want this thing over. They want to put it in the bank, and they want to they want to start looking forward. Reality is, is they got a long way to go to do that. They're going to have to beat Nikki Haley convincingly mm-hmm. in South Carolina in order to do that, and they're going to have to do it in such a way to make a case that Super Tuesday doesn't look like a hodgepodge of victories. Mm. Remember, guys like Marco Rubio won states in Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Super Tuesday expands the map in a different way where your resources aren't such mm-hmm. that you can actually dominate each campaign the way that Trump has dominated Iowa and dominated North New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's it's like a full map of stuff. And so if you're looking at this from Nikki Haley's standpoint, I look at it in two ways. The first way is we got in the 40s. And we're in a head-to-head, head-to-head, mm-hmm. which, to your point, is something that everybody speculated about. What does that look like in a national context? The second thing is, is second place a bad spot to be here? A clear second place, a bad spot to be here in an environment that is totally unprecedented in American politics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where the nominee for the Democrats may not be on the ballot. And there are 91 indictments and an actuarial table that is ticking on our own nominee. Mm -hmm. Like, does second place sound like a bad situation to be in? Because they're going to have to go around it one way or another. I don't even know what the process is. I've spent my life in politics. I worked at the Republican National Committee. I don't know what the process would be to replace a nominee. I don't, I don't even know how you deal with that. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen at all. And I, by the looks of Donald Trump, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Well, you know, but, but, some people tried in 2016 well, Mike in Lee. October. Mike, Mike Lee. Well, he, Mike Lee tried to, to remove Trump from the ballot in, at he? the convention. And there were others who tried to remove uh, Trump from the ballot. Well, in this is you're you're talking about the uh, the Paul Ryan Ryan's previous play at the end. Yeah, and that was stopped. It, you know what? Here, like, I'm glad you brought. We this could, we could talk about it in another. No, time. no, no. I, I don't think we should. I think we should just let it go. The reason you listen to Ruthless is because you get inside scoop. You get inside scoop. You know why that didn't go forward? I do know why that didn't go forward. Smug, do you know why that didn't go forward? I I stood for President Trump. Make sure it wouldn't happen. <laughs> I think that's right. There was conventional wisdom in October of 2016 that when the uh, Access Hollywood tapes came out, that the party ought to basically unendorse and walk away from Trump. Uh, Paul Ryan at the point, Ryan's Priebus, was chairman of the RNC, all thought this was irrecoverable. And, I mean, look, from the way it looked and was being portrayed on cable television, can't really blame him for that coming to that conclusion. Um, McConnell's take, and I was there in the room. Mm, I remember this. 
McConnell picked up the phone and called three candidates that we had in make-or-break races in order to get the majority and said, what are you hearing on the ground? And all of the people said, I did rallies all day. This is late in October. They said, rallies all day on the ground. Not a single person is talking about this stuff. They just want to beat the Democrats. They want to beat Hillary Clinton. Which confirmed his suspicion that a fractured Republican Party, regardless of the atmospherics in the national media, would cause irretrievable damage at the ballot box. And so his view was that you can't go anywhere from this guy. That You've got to figure it out and move forward mm-hmm. as a team because it's politics is the ultimate team sport. If you're not a team, you never win. That's the reason why in the variety program we get angry when you get people taking shots and, and trying to undermine people like Kevin McCarthy when he's trying to just get you further down the road because it's the ultimate team sport. All it does is uh, it provide advantages for Democrats. That's what that did. And if you were to try to walk away from Donald Trump two weeks before an election, all you did is advantage Hillary Clinton. And so he told him, I'm not in. I'm not in on that. We're, we're not doing that. We're not doing it. And, and they were like, okay, I guess we're not doing it. So it didn't go forward. Nobody knows that. Nobody this knows. is the first time in the Variety program uh, it has ever been known that that was actually what happened, and that is what happened. And uh, the rest is history on that. I'm not even sure Donald Trump knows that, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he does. Incredible insight. I don't know if he does, but I remember it was in October, and I, it was. I remember getting <laughs> the calls. I remember getting the calls. I remember talking to him, and he was like, "Yeah, we're not. We're not going to do that." No. I remember, I remember is, the debate after, which then they, they team, went and got team is on uh, the, field. the women that Bill Clinton had assaulted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a hell of a play. Right, that was a play. Right. That was a hell of a play. But, I mean, the point is, is a fra- fractured doesn't work. No. And, and, and I think I wouldn't worry about that right now if I'm a Republican. Republicans are going to consolidate. I wouldn't worry about that. Like, if, if, you're, if you're concerned that Nikki Haley is the one that's preventing the Republican Party from consolidating, like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. What you ought to worry a lot about is if somebody like Nikki Haley isn't talking to a segment of the electorate that the Trump campaign isn't talking mm-hmm. to at, at all, because that is a majority maker. That is the difference. Her constituency right now, and you saw it in New Hampshire, it's the difference between winning and losing. If those people are bought in, and if you listen to her remarks, they're 95% of them are against mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. If, if, if those people are not bought in to the arguments that she's making and nobody's talking to them, they're going to vote for Joe Biden. They just are. That's just the bottom line. Mm. And so I, I do. I agree with what you said at some level. Like, this is making the Trump campaign stronger. Now, can this go forever? No, it can't. But the consolidation is inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen because Joe Biden is that bad. Mm-hmm. Democrats are that bad. The progressive movement is that bad. It is so divorced from middle America and the values of America and what we stand for that there's no chance that you're not going to have a consolidated conservative movement. What I worry a lot about is the people who aren't talked to, who have economic concerns with the Biden administration that ultimately like are fearful 
that the Republican Party doesn't represent anything they care about. Mm-hmm. Well, Nikki's talking to him right now. So it is what it is. Listen, we've got a, a bunch of other stuff. I'm glad we covered all that, by the way. I think that's exciting. By the way, that, I mean. That's something you don't get anywhere. That's else. good insight. Big news there, too, <laughs> yeah. by the way. We'll see if anybody reports. They don't want to report on us, though, because they would give us credibility, and they hate that. <laughs> they hate that. Um, so coming up, we're going to talk about the Zinn stuff. Very important. Chuck Schumer and the Zinn stuff, which is unbelievable. Uh, LA Times laying off their entire I got deal. a lot to say about that. Uh, and then we got Charlie Spearing as well. So let's get to it, fellas. Um, the Zinn stuff. Mm-hmm. The Zinn stuff. I Wild. Mean, fellas, Chuck Schumer said, and this is according to foxnews.com, Schumer calls for a federal, <laughs> this is so fucking wild, federal crackdown on Zinn nicotine pouches facing backlash. Nanny stayed alive and well. So uh, he ultimately, Chuck Schumer, the, the leader of Senate Democrats, who, as you know, are constantly trying to figure out a way into your backyard, yep. has noticed as I think anybody who's ever been to a convenience store in the last year has noticed, there's an awful lot of people buying nicotine pouches, whether they be Camel Snooze, whether they be Zins, what have you. Well, he doesn't care for that. He doesn't care for that. And so he has decided that the federal government ought to outlaw the product. Zins. Zins. And what do we think about this? So first off, among young males, this is probably the most <laughs> unpopular thing you could like. I can't think of a move that's more unpopular to do than this. For so many, like, for so many reasons, like you, you look at the alternatives. Is it basically just like just smoke cigarettes, guys? Is that like what the play is here? Like the same push just, that they had against just like go vaping, smoke whatever. conventional just cigarettes. Smoke cigarettes guys. And then the thing that really, which by the way, that's cool too. Yeah, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it. <laughs> but what really gets me about this is that you have Chuck Schumer walks into a bodega and he's like, the problem is this pack of Zins. Not that like this place has been robbed three times and the person doesn't have to put cash bail up. Like that's not the problem here. The, the, the problem isn't Americans are worried about crime, that Americans are worried about inflation. It's that like, I'm going to go after Zin. Can we which get is just such a gift. Double of gra- graphics going. This is going to be graphic too in the Zin uh, memes. I mean, what you're seeing is this massive... <laughs> Boston, Boston Zin. Zin yeah, for the folks who, who have not subscribed on YouTube yet, you get to miss out on stuff like this. So you definitely should subscribe. But like that's just is, a bunch of bros being bros. I mean, like I the, the the like outrage I saw online immediately. Yeah. After this. Because it's like, dude, inflation is so bad. <laughs> like we don't know which terror group is attacking our troops. We don't know what country is attacking who right now. This is a lot of folks don't know if they have a job tomorrow. They just want to have a zen. Dude. They want to take, like, take and you're shit. gonna take away the, like. Can we get the next graphic? Can we get the next graphic? That's it. Yeah, there it is. William Wallace. William there, Wallace standing on top of a rock with a zen flag. I mean, I like there is pretty much no move that's more unpopular among the youth so and for, going after this because it is just 
the, the levels of being out of touch with what actually matters to individuals. But for those, so, so for those people who are like, and look, I, I've expressed my, my sincere consideration over the Trump poll numbers, his ceiling, his ability to get over the top against a cadaver. Uh, it's shit like this mm-hmm. that I just fundamentally do not understand. Wouldn't well, it rule if it would just, there, just turn out? Choose Republican it's, turnout. But it's it's they, there is there is they have this weird political radar on freedoms. It's wild. Like what they've done with menthol cigarettes. That's exactly that what I was going to bring it, up. It's keeping an entire demographic less than interested in what it is that the Biden administration has to so offer. So the cigarette of choice of of, of most African Americans who smoke cigarettes is menthol. So what is yeah. what does? the Biden administration do this year in an election year ban menthol cigarettes are you kidding me right like dude, no dude, it's like I it's, mean, it's a, just it it's, it's it's a fundamental like I don't understand what they're doing not to mention a gigantic economic hit to a state like North Carolina which Democrats would probably like to think is in play but if he does this Trump's gonna win it going away right and then all of a sudden he's gonna they're gonna ban Zins and that activates an entirely just like a gigantic demographic. Like can of I get that can voters. I get graphic one back up? Can I get graphic one back up? So these fellas, these are our fellas, right? I mean the, the no no no, not that one. It's that's the poll. I'm talking about the Zin stuff, the Zin party. Wolf, can we get the Zin party back up? The dudes in the Zin party. There are people. That's it. Right? These are our guys. They li- they, I mean, two-thirds of them probably listen to the variety program. Uh, the chances of them going out and putting out yard signs and delivering lit, uh, I'll admit, probably not great. Well, but now. But you've given them a reason. Now they've right. got an issue. Right. Everybody, now you've uh, given them a reason. Every, every guy in, on that dock is going to have a yard sign, and they're going to be making 100 calls a person. <laughs> Everybody's worried about consolidation. Chuck Schumer just solved that problem. He just solved it. I mean, you have a couple of Zins, you know? You know how many phone calls you can make? I mean, these are our people. <laughs> yeah, just knocking back a couple of uh, white claws and having a few uh, Zinner pops, a little upper deckies for the fellas. And next thing you know, the guy's trying to ban your You're stuff. just trying to make it through Biden's America for crying out loud. That's the thing. You know? That's the thing is, is those are big losers. I remember um, I, I was reading this book in sociology about kind of like um, in inner cities, this understanding started to occur between police and just the working man, mm. where if you have your beer in the brown bag, you get left alone. Yeah. Because oh, here's the thing. That's why they, that's we, why people. Yeah, we, well, because when you're the it, working man, you, you know, these are, uh, this is during, you know, you had a manufacturing still in the United States. So yeah. you're like in Milwaukee, you've done your shift. You just want to sit on your front porch. If you have a beer, you're going to get hassled. But if you put it in the brown bag, the cops are like, we'll lay off you. They're like, yeah. look, because this, like, guy, this guy he's is following the right, rules. Right. So the spirit. So, right. so, so you have a time where, like, you know, the youth of this country, what they had to go through during COVID. Yeah. Locked up in the mm-hmm. prime, you know, when there should be socializing, when should be attending classes, when, when, when they should be enjoying their lives, were locked up in, in, in a pandemic. And now they're in a, in a country where housing is essentially 
an impossibility. They think they'll never be able to own a house. They're certainly not getting Social Security or Medicare. Never gonna, never gonna see Social Security. They, they, they can't have a couple of lip pillows. That's the thing. It's like they're uh-huh. surrounded by crime. It's like you know what? Just a zen to take the edge off. And so when you take that away from an individual, is that's when you have problems politically. Right, I think we should rise up. We should probably make. Let's get the old man to make some T-shirts on this. That's a great idea. I think that we is should. a great idea. The old man needs to put the stitching uh, to mm. some T-shirts because that. I mean, look, this is like legitimately unbelievable. Yeah, the idea that you're it's like a gift. It's a gift to the focused on banning menthol cigarettes, or you're focused on taking away zins mm. is like, dude, have you? Is anybody looking at what's happening yeah. here? Like we've got like uh, that's not the top two hundred issues. We got here. we got trannies winning L- LGBT uh, uh, LPGA events, right? Oh, I yeah. should say, oh, you know, and like all of a sudden these guys like no 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 our real concern is whether or not you get a little it's knock, unbelievable a little knock a nicotine yeah what a bunch of assholes <laughs> it's just incredible. <laughs> it's One thing I wanted to I wanted to cover because I think a lot of our listeners had been focused on this. It's not even in the doc, but I I you'll get it interest in this there was a supreme court ruling that dealt with the border and the sovereignty of texas to put up fencing and there was a majority decision against texas being able to do something different than the federal government was willing to do and from a policy standpoint that is a hugely objectionable stand stance i mean mm-hmm. something that's like i'm sure greg abbott is like fit to be tied about i saw something from the border agents that were they were super irritated about it mm-hmm. and rightly so just remember the supreme court is there in if it's perfect if it's perfect what it's there is to interpret the law it's not to make policy mm-hmm. or enforce or what it's there to do is to interpret the law as it's written. And the law as it's written is the sovereign borders of the United States are the property of the federal government, and states can't supersede that. Mm-hmm. In this case, that is a huge problem because the Biden administration has decided they're not going to do their job. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you look ahead to 18 months... You're going to be really fucking thankful for that decision. That's it. so you're going to be really fucking well. I thankful. think the I think I think that people in Texas are really thankful that they've got a governor who is actually who is actually moving on this. And you know, but I think it's I, I my point. My, but my point is less about the issue of immigration is to uh, to make people understand what the purpose of of why it was so important for all of us for the last twenty years to get the Supreme Court right. Mm-hmm in part was that you set precedent, not policy. Mm-hmm. That, you, that you make an understanding that people have to follow that ultimately liberals get short-term wins on, that ultimately the Constitution is ensured they're going to get their fucking asses kicked. Mm. That's the thing is, you know, I was enraged when I saw this because this border is open. And the mess is completely at the behest of the Biden administration. They enjoy it. They want this. They've completely, yeah. you know, given up their role in defending the sovereignty of the United States. 
and making the border secure. And so what this goes back to is square one. Where we're at is the Biden administration has abdicated their role in defending this country's border. Well, think about the fact that they challenged it in the first place. You think they would be saying thank you to the Texas National Guard. Because that would take uh, the off right. of Kamala's plate, who's right. the border czar, <laughs> right? Right. Right. right? But where they are now is, okay, so the entire border crisis is on the Biden administration. Yeah. It's completely clear. I think Governor Abbott has done a phenomenal oh, yeah, job he's... putting putting uh, illegal aliens on buses and sending them to communities that say, oh, well, you know, we are a sanctuary community. But uh, what that means is, Texas, you deal with the problem, not us, right? Yeah. So when they get sent to New York and then all of a sudden it's a crisis for Mayor Adams and he has to understand what it's like for those border towns in Texas every single day, that's the issue at heart here. And so I understand exactly what you said right there is this will crystallize in the view of the American public that the Biden administration is enabling and wants this crisis at the border. There, look, but, but also, like the court's job is not to make policy. Which is right. frustrating. Which it's is or, frustrating. Or, frustrating. Or, which is frustrating. Or enforce the law, which is the Biden administration's it, job. It's, exa the, it's exactly. their job is to enforce the, political, the law. The enforcing of the law is the political part. The larger part is that they set standards by which everyone has to live by in terms of interpreting the law going forward. Okay. Now you get a Trump administration. Right. Okay, so you got a li liberal governor of New Mexico, right? Wants right. a liberal governor of California, right? They have a bunch of different ideas about how they want to enforce border policy. Yep. Guess right. what? Supreme Court just said, you can't. You have to listen to the Trump administration. You can't, and you have to build the wall that he tells you you have. You're going to gonna build. build that fucking wall, right? Right. No, I think you know what I mean. And what like that's what you're saying. That's what you're the saying, long, game. long game. What you're saying is exactly right, and that is the long game. But. Right now, when we are facing month over month inflows of 300,000 people, I just like that the governor of a state yeah, oh, I is, agree. Actually, I agree. is actually using his authority. And I think it's ironic that all these politicians, all these politicians around the country have perfectly good sets of legs, and it's a guy in a wheelchair who's actually standing up to Washington. Oh, and, wow. Look you at go. you. Look at you. All right. Uh, Speaking of border, do we have a bear? Can we put the bear up? Boys, you're not going to believe this. Look at this bear. That's at the wall. So, I don't, what this side, is obviously what one, is that bear on? one of Hank's lieutenants. What's unclear <laughs> is what side of the wall it's on. It clearly wants to cross. It's deterred. Can we get one more time? Well, if I want to see it one more time, this bear is. Again, for folks who are just listening, this is why you get on. <laughs> yeah, you can't get through. It, it's trying to get through Trump's wall, and it's looking and it's trying to get. It's it's look. Uh, uh, can't do it. Not working. I mean, <laughs> honestly, walls it, work. It, turns out it's a bear. You should try looking for a coyote for that job, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you remember when this administration through. tried playing dumb, being like a coyote. Yeah, that's like, that's an animal. That's, Those aren't bringing. They're not riding. Migrants are not riding. Shows like, you how little they know that's about. A, I mean, this shit. just it, it's unbelievable. Do we know? Is that an American bear or a Mexican bear? Because I think we. I believe it's an American bear. Okay, that's an American. Patro bear. Maybe maybe, maybe patrolling he's a, the wall. Yeah, maybe he's watching the wall. Maybe, maybe he's what? Maybe that's someone's a new got tactic. to taking it into. Honestly, a new, a new, you think Abbott's new got idea new? for Abbott? Abbott's like you're not going to the bears. You're not going to let me put up the fencing. So here's the bear. Yeah, sending the bears. Abbott has allied with Hank. 
Honestly, if, if Biden won't do it, send in the Bears. Get the get Hank and the crew involved. I love it. Crocodiles in the Rio Grande. Smug, last thing, uh, you'll be saddened to know that the LA Times is laying off practically all of their staff. I've enjoyed the hell out of this news. Um, so much. It it turns out it's not good. So it, it's, a, it's a massive portion of their staff. I was so excited seeing this news. They're crying about, oh, LA, LA Guild, our union, we all stand in solidarity. The union did shit for them, right? The same way that Sports Illustrated's union did shit for them. Here's the lesson, folks. Okay, all you LA Times reporters, I know I've tweeted at many of you the <laughs> same message that I'm going to say right now is keep writing stories saying that the Biden economy is great and the <laughs> campaign just isn't doing a good job telling voters that everything is going great. Even while you're unemployed, write that same story. Tweet it out. Do the same garbage that you've been doing. How much are you buying that story right now? You know, it's like that whole, what's that joke? It's like a, a recession when your neighbor gets laid off. It's a depression when you get laid off. Tweet. How's their depression going now? How are things in El Segundo? You moved to El Segundo for this. Yeah. 20%. 20%. 20% of the workforce, gonzo. And, and you know what? Do you it, notice that, cut by the more, way? Cut way more. Cut Sm way more. Smash, you notice that? So the LA Times has never been like an awesome publication in terms of coverage for American politics. But they've had some good reporters. But they've had some good nope. reporters. Oh. And over the years... <laughs> no, they haven't. Over they the years... Not one. Have. No, they have. Not one has walked through that door. They've all been just regime like uh, uh, puppets who've pushed this message being like, why don't voters understand <laughs> that Joe Biden's economy is great? Why don't you guys understand that right now? How's that feeling? So I think... Feeling good? But, but I noticed they did like a... There was some kind of a takeover. Somebody's... Some billionaire's daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Some right. billionaire bought it. And then he let his I, daughter run the place. And so his daughter is a socialist. This is yeah. the best story ever. But I but I noticed, like, the moment that that happened, all of a sudden it was, like, DNC talking points. Like, normally they, 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 they're... She they forced them the to do courtesy. things like stop calling homeless people homeless, called them unhoused. <laughs> like, these are the things that she started worrying about. Most of the, most of the reputable publications, quote-unquote reputable, uh, do you the courtesy of trying to mask their true partisanship mm -hmm. a touch, mm -hmm. just a touch, right? They'll give you a quote or whatever, or the, the story will be like, well, it's a legitimate public policy debate. And like immediately after this broad took over, it was a complete 180. Yep. I mean, everything that they printed, I was like, wow. Yeah. Like you literally... I, I know, like, I'll look at the byline of the reporter and, like, no one I know has ever met them. Mm -hmm. And they're writing, like, with Useless. authority right. about what's happening in American politics, despite the fact that they've, no one's ever talked to them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And, like, oh, lo and behold, 20%. Now you're homeless. That's Sorry. That, I mean, I could not be happier because these are the people who have been trying to tell Americans, listen, uh, inflation is not real or... Then they went with the Biden talking point. Well, inflation is actually good. And then they went with, well, inflation's gone. Like, they spent their careers being stenographers for, for the Biden administration pushing these talkers that, listen, don't care. D don't believe your lying eyes. Everything is fine. Is everything fine for those people now? They deserve right. this and so much worse. Right. Fundamentally, people buy newspapers and spend their precious time reading them because they're looking for information. They're not looking for propaganda. Bingo. They're not looking to be deprogrammed yep. from whatever their life is. They just want information. They want 
the weather and the news version of the weather and the news version of sports. And, you know, like, that's it. And, and I love all. the biggest irony of all of this if is... If they want to read an editorial, they'll flip to the back, but usually they don't do that. The biggest stimulus that the field of journalism ever received in its existence is the election of Donald Trump. Like, that was the journal hiring spree. Like, they never had it better. They never had These it These publications better. never got more subscribers, more page views than the Donald Trump presidency. That's and my only the objection end, to the four years, by the way. Is, well, that's the thing is, is, is then they all are just having the best time of their lives. And then they decide, let's unite and elect Joe Biden. Let's let's put a, 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 a barricade on the Hunter Biden laptop. <laughs> or let's unite and make sure that Joe Biden wins. And look what's led to. Do you think look the what's led you, to. they you, all deserve this? And so much more like or, this guy Orrin McIntyre has a great line of you think you hate journos enough, but you don't. And that's the truth. <laughs> Smug, if if Trump wins in November, do you think the renaissance comes back? I think so. I think so. I mean, the guys, I mean, we saw what he did for the economy I don't last know. Time. Yep. I don't know. Yep. The hiring will be I think nuts. They've, I, now, you think they're done? I think, I think that they've poisoned the well enough. Yeah. I, I think that the... I hope so. There are other, there are other op- options out there for information beyond the... And for the, the journals. Learn to code. You told coal miners to do that. Well, Learn to code. you know what? You can just keep subscribing to the Ruthless Variety program. Tell, you, uh, tell us uh, everything you need, and we can keep expanding and providing more information. There you That's go. Right. That's exactly That's right. right. I want to welcome to the program a good friend, somebody we've uh, had on here before, and somebody we've worked with for, God, it's been like decades. I have never been on the show. I thought you were on here last, you were here. No, I did stop by to see the old studio. Oh, is that what it was? That's what it was. The old old barn studio. You came in and met with us. Yeah. Oh, man, this is the first time on air? Yes, it is. I'm very happy to be here. Well, it looks a little different from the last time you were here, doesn't it? A lot warmer, too. (laughs) (laughs) Those bright lights. Blame Wolf for that. (laughs) He's got a fetish for the heat, and I can't oh, figure yeah. it out. And look at you as a professional. Oh, I, suit yeah. and tie. Couldn't disappoint. Last time I met you, you were wearing a suit. You were you, kind I, of well-dressed. So. Well, occasionally I need to do real-life things. <laughs> this is not one of those times. This That's is one great. of those times where I'm actually doing fun stuff. Charlie Spearing, um, longtime journalist we've worked with for years, did incredible work at Breitbart, before that, you were at NRO, was it? Or not, the Washington Examiner. Washington actually. Examiner, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, really, truly insightful stuff. The kind of guy that actually gets it, mm-hmm. goes into the detail, tries to find the research, mm-hmm. doesn't write what the assignment editor is like conjuring up on a day-to-day basis, but actually well, finds the you. real story. And, and, I, and I even showed up, but and Smug didn't have a buffet set for me. So. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And I think you've only written it, one hit piece on me, which is a kind of a huge <laughs> distinction between you and every other journalist in this squad. But I, I got to tell you, this is a truly good guy, and you've written an incredible book that we have a lot of interest in. Thanks. This is the sucker here. It's Amateur Hour. Yeah. Amateur Hour. And who it's about is one of our favorite targets in the Variety program, Kamala Harris. That's right. Yeah, it's it was uh, kind of a blend. When we were putting together the idea for the book, we kind of wanted, like, yeah, it's kind of terrifying that she's sort of a brain stroke away from the presidency, but mm. it's also kind of funny. Her first first three years <laughs> been kind of funny, and you guys have done a lot. To, you've had a lot of laughs, haven't you? Well, Veep or Veep, you know? Yeah. That was a fun game. What a great game. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and for the first, like, four months of her vice presidential tenure, mm-hmm. it was a game that we could not resist. The problem is we ran out of Selena Meyer quotes 
Because, like, as you know, if you're listening to to the show and you, you've listened back then, what we would do is match up a quote from the real-life vice president with a Selena Meyer of the show Veep quote, which, of course, was supposed to be a comedic parody. Uh, and you'd have to pick which one was which. The problem is there were so many of them. We literally went through, like, seven years of Veep in the first three months. Oh, wow. And, like, we just kind of ran out. Uh, like, she, she does not stop saying <laughs> amateur hour kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it's very aptly named. She's the gift that keeps on giving. So, look, what I know what gave you the idea, right? Mm-hmm. She exists. She's a very significant public figure, critical to our political discussion at this point in time, and an am- absolute amateur hour, which the title of the book is perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But uh, when did you get to the point where you were like, no, I'm going to put pen to paper on this deal? Yeah, it, it, when just investigating the first three years, kind of putting it together and then doing the research. Well, wow, when you go back. And, so I went in the 2016 primary for Democrats. Mm. Um, um, I primarily followed Pete Buttigieg. Mm. Yeah, and but and I didn't really follow Kamala Harris's campaign that That's much. That's right. You were totally on Pete. Yeah, I was. I was covering Pete the whole time. We call him Boot Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and then, but I never really followed Kamala Harris's campaign that closely. And just going back and doing the research, <laughs> wow, the signs were all there. Where yep. where were the reporters? Why didn't they? point out the the obvious problems that she was having now look she her campaign famously crashed and burned in iowa before the caucus even before, started so i mean she was like a f- early front runner and that's a waste of 40 million dollars from right. from her donors like yeah. didn't even get it to the to the to the starting line let alone the, <laughs> right. <laughs> right so that's that's rough and yeah just looking going back and watching all the old interviews and then the uh, you know, we we know of like the famous moments of the campaign, but looking at some of the other stuff, it's 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 incredible how she got as far as she did. So, a lot of rumor and innu- innuendo, as they say, yeah, mm-hmm. about how she sort of rose through California politics. Some of them involving former Mayor Willie Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's like as soon as you announced this book, I was like, okay, are we going to get to the bottom? I'll say point, the whole Willie Brown thing. We can just say the Willie Brown thing. The Willie, Willie Brown, Brown thing. The, the whispers thing. of like, okay, how did she get to where she? Because she essentially she didn't. She had the seat, the Senate seat handed to her in California through like a yeah. vacancy, right? I mean, like, she worked her way up, right? I right. mean, that's, that's the thing. Is like, how how does this happen? But how did, <laughs> how does she arrive? It's I mean, California. It's a basically a one party state. Got to be a pretty competitive thing. And so there would always be these rumors of like, oh, her and Willie Brown, like uh, he's their benefactor, maybe more. What's the whole story with that relationship situation? So, so I left a voicemail for Willie Brown, but he, he did not respond to an interview request. But we did sort of I do love some picturing, research. I love picturing <laughs> Willie Brown getting a voicemail from you. And I can imagine the questions you asked on the voicemail and him just sort of sitting there and being like, I really want to answer. I all would this. love. He had the reputation <laughs> when he was a politician, you know, full time. He of always returning every call from yeah. every reporter. Oh, really? Even if he declined to make a comment, he, he would call back. Call. Yeah. So I kind of hoped he would, but I guess Kamala's people kind of have him blocked down about. <laughs> it was a little point. hot. Yeah. So what would you find out about that whole? So situation? yeah, they actually Willie Brown dated Kamala Harris when she was just uh, an assistant. Uh, district attorney from Almeida County. Okay. So she was 29 years old. Willie Brown is the most powerful politician in California at this point. He ruled the 
state legislature for years, and he was finally forced out because of term limits. And you know, he kind of wants to keep the thing going. He wants to keep living yeah. the high life. You know, he's he's a very he's very playboy, uh, fun loving. He loves fast cars and expensive suits. He loves the lifestyle. Little little corrupt around the edges, but the <laughs> FBI never caught him doing anything bad, right? <laughs> yeah, so for those of you who don't remember mayor. the Willie Brown era, it was, I mean, he was a national figure as a mayor of San Francisco, in large part because of exactly what you're saying. He was like a quote-a-minute machine, mm-hmm. loved being in front of a camera. Oh, yeah. And uh, loved just sort of living the life out in the public. Bill Clinton called him the real Slick Willie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Perfect. So she dated this guy. So they date for about a year, and at the same time, he's running for mayor. He kind of needs he kind of needs to show the public that he can hold a stable relationship with a real adult. Yeah. Even if it's you know Kamala Harris half his age. Right. Uh, he's doing, right. Because he's been long estranged from his wife Blanche uh, for many years. They separated but never divorced. So this is why. People, you know, like obvious uh, operatives yeah. are saying he, had, she had an affair with a married man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, but. kind of. But they were, they were strange. But you know, it wasn't just any ordinary relationship. Willie Brown appoints her to two state boards oh. while they're dating. Really? She's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think I researched. It's like four hundred thousand dollars by being on these boards in a period of three to four years. Whoa. And you know that was back in the nineties. You adjust that for so inflation, like in tw- that's like eight hundred thousand dollars. And at twenty nine, she's in her twenties. And he gave her the keys to a BMW. And here you go. Whoa! Here you go, babe. Look good. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is insane. Didn't know that. Well, she figured it out. So yeah, just by hanging out, they only dated a year. She came out uh, after his victory speech and put on a cap on his head that said "Dumb Mayor" in gold letters and gave him a big kiss and. It was all, everyone was like, oh my gosh, they might get married. This is looking pretty serious. But nope, soon after, right after the campaign, Brown dumps her. And guess who's holding the Bible at the inauguration? His long estranged wife. Whoa. (laughs) Blanche. I bet Blanche has stories to tell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you leave her a voicemail? <laughs> yeah, did she return reporter calls? Oh, man. I think they actually got her on camera once after Kamala was elected. She's just like, no, I'm not. She, she declined. <laughs> yeah. Declined comment. Well, Char- Charlie, fast forward to modern day, and Democrats are now in a situation where they're like, my God, this woman is our vice president. If something should happen to Joe Biden, she is the standard bearer heading into November. We've seen story after story of them on background, of course, wringing their hands about the possibility that she might be on the ballot for them if something should happen to the president. We, can you talk a little bit about the anxiety Democrats are feeling about the chance that Kamala Harris may be on the ballot in November? Yeah, they don't, they don't want that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I found it pretty amazing that there's few people in Washington that, that even like Kamala Harris. Wow. Let alone even Democrats, let alone defend her. And really? part of part of that is that she has so many other Democrats in the wings who have supporters like Pete Buttigieg and mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren and right. you know, there's any number of candidates people would rather see. They've kind of seen all they wanted to see from Kamala Harris, so they don't really like her and they don't really stick their neck out to defend her. But you know what they won't do? 
they won't publicly criticize her because, and you know, as soon as you do that, you're a sexist, you're a racist, get, yeah. get, get, get out of here. You're not, you're not suitable for Democrat politics. Yeah. So there's a lot of frustration behind because the scenes, of, a lot of anxiety. Of, it, because in large part because of the criteria that Biden put in place for who he would select. Yeah. Right. Right? He, I mean, he, he vowed he would select a true partner who would be ready on day one. Yeah, and this was but, but heavy influence, as he did with the Supreme Court, on checking the Democrat identity boxes. Mm -hmm. Right. There was a debate, the, one of the last debates he had with Bernie Sanders. He said, I will commit that I will pick a woman vice president. Yeah. But after the summer of rage and the George Floyd riots, it became pretty clear to his senior advisors that you know, he has to pick a woman of color. He has to play, pick a black woman to be the, his vice presidential nominee because the old Joe just isn't quite getting cut anymore <laughs> on the campaign trail. After all of his campaign gaffes, like, it, you know, poor kids are just as smart as, as white kids. He's not, uh, not, not an exact. You, you ain't black if you, <laughs> if you vote for Trump. You know, like, gosh, this guy, he's a terrible messenger. We need somebody who can actually message on the issue of race and who better to do it than... A black woman, but uh, yeah, Barack Obama. Actually, she called also. him racist. Though. Oh yeah, yeah. The the one that called him a racist. Yeah, he's the one. She's the one that's gonna. Sort and of, she happily accepted that yeah. that uh, uh, nomination from the racist that she called. It, which <laughs> it, you know, it's it's wild to me because if he's gonna make that statement, uh, there are of course millions of qualified people to choose from, mm -hmm. including Karen Bass and Val Demings. If you're a Democrat mm -hmm. looking for somebody to be a vice presidential nominee, did you pick up any anything about like regret that they didn't pick Karen Bass or Val Demings or or somebody other than Kamala Harris? Well, one of the big ones was the fact that he was seriously considering Susan Rice. I think a lot of us were right. kind of watching right. that. Susan wow. Rice, right. Rice Obama, was, Jill's, Obama official. was Jill's favorite. Okay. Yeah. So former national security advisor Susan Rice, the famous one who took the fall for Benghazi, getting all that messaging totally wrong. Right. Wow, how did she make it to the top of the list? We were kind of like, <laughs> whoa, really? <laughs> and the reason was Jill liked her. And Biden had a relationship with her, just a friendly relationship. They got along well. I mean, from the in, Obama from, administration. From the Obama administration. Yeah. And, and so that's why uh, he seriously considered Susan Rice. And got beat out by Willie Brown's girlfriend. So yeah. I, that's right. I, I have a question about this. So, you know, it's many times in the press it's been said how much the, uh, the Biden campaign folks, the Kamala campaign folks, they didn't really like each other. Like you mentioned, a lot of folks in D.C., Democrats don't like Kamala. Is she mm -hmm. is she aware of this? Is she oblivious, or, or does she know that? Well, she she she's she's not wanted at all. Yeah, I think she's kind of viewing it through the the, the lens of this is what the Democrat Party does. They lift up people of color and then just kind of leave them dangling. She, she's this, really blaming. That's what uh, she's yeah, yeah, incredible. And so she's right now. She's just kind of waiting it out. You huh. kind of see so like. And now that her campaign, she's on in campaign mode, right? They they hired a bunch of people to get her out of vice president mode and put her in campaign mode. You know, everything she says, like things she said on the views, things she said with Katie Kirk, completely all scripted. Completely scripted. I love Gen Z. Laugh. I love Gen Z. I really love Gen Z. This is the kind of rhetoric that she's using now to appeal to young people, which is so hysterical. That's my favorite part about her mm -hmm. is that she she has some talent if completely outside of the world of politics mm -hmm. 
Like, I think if you were encounter her at a party, like, it probably wouldn't be as weird as it is when you're looking at her through a camera lens. But, like, the moment they flip lights on, her entire... I mean, you remember the famous, like, uh, NASA? Yeah. They, where they had to script the kids to ask her yeah. questions about space, right. and she talked about a right. great space... Like, everything seems... That was, like, a perfect encapsulation for me of her mm-hmm. in that it's like, no, you need to say this. And she's right. like, I will say this, words, 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 mm-hmm. this, words, words, words. Isn't that kind of, like, yeah. the upshot of her? Yeah, you keep her on script because if, you, if she's just riffing, then it just becomes a word salad, like we call yeah. it. You know, everyone's talking about her word salads, and there's a chapter of the book just highlighting some of the best salads. ones. Yeah. But a lot of the, the reason she does this is she kind of loses her place, and she keeps adding more and more dependent clauses to everything that she's saying. <laughs> no. This is the observation. <laughs> this is good research. Yeah. And she also does this thing where, like, she's has a term and then tries to define the term. And yeah. I think maybe this is bad media training. I don't know if you guys have run into this, but maybe in media training they're like, come up with an idea, a word, and then sort of build your speech around this word to really connect with the audience. You know, you can kind of see a coach saying that. And that's why she says time and it talks about the significance of the passage of time. Oh, God, that uh, was a horrible That one. was, I mean, if, if a coach ever said that to her, that coach should be fired. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah. well, there are some people who are capable of extemporanea, and I, she is certainly not one of I them. I think that's why there's a steady rotation of speech writers, because no matter who comes up with a speech, it's just not working. That, that I think that she's on at least her third. And people have told me, like, no, she's been through more than that. But as, as far as we know, on record, incredible, like, she's on her third speech. Do you think it's wow, in three months? Do you think Charlie, like in all the research that you've done, do, do you think it's like a deep-seated insecurity? Yeah, good question. Like, what is? The or, or do you think it's this? just? I mean, like I, I it's find abnormal. it almost impossible it to believe that she's just stone dumb. But it could be. Or it could be just a series of insecurities. I mean, she, she's a, well, she's like a Harvard lawyer or something. Where, where did she Right. For, I mean, it's hard to believe uh, that she doesn't she have some She went capacity. to Howard University here in D.C., and then she went, I think, to one of the California schools. So yeah. She's not certainly Harvard or Yale. She's mm. not that much of an elitist. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of it is just uh, fear of messing up. I think that you know so it's, it is you have politicians that are that are afraid of messing up, and yeah. especially when you're the vice president and you're trying to speak somebody else's words that aren't your own. Yeah, I think she's she's really she really struggles with that, especially in the beginning. Yeah, you know, unable to answer a question without the talking points. There's so well, many Biden shows. did her a lot of favors, being <laughs> like, "Hey, you're in charge of the border. Good yeah. luck." <laughs> <laughs> she hated that idea that she was somehow really? the border czar. Yeah, she even corrected him in public. You know, I think uh, it was Jonathan Martin, one of the political reporters, that you know teased this out. But in one instance, she actually corrected the president publicly in front of other lawmakers. Like, I am not in charge of the border. I'm in charge of root causes of migration. Oh my goodness! (laughs) What a lunatic! Can you imagine? You would think that someone who makes so many mistakes over and over and over again would just be comfortable with. But, making all, but also the dynamic like, okay, well, that whatever. he has to take that. The same trap that right. got her the right. VP well, nomination. Well, the, first the question place. is whether he even heard it, right? Yeah. It was just like, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, like, it, it, she clearly is conscious of kind of like the armor that she has that grants her the leeway to act like that, of, of, of 
is she like even self-conscious enough to understand why she's vice president in the first place that like she didn't make it to Iowa. Mm -hmm. Her resume is non-existent because all of her positions she's essentially been appointed to. Mm -hmm. Or does she really think, you know what? I'm just a person of destiny. I've earned my way this entire way. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of ambition there. And she wouldn't have gotten as far as she did without the ambition. She always, and, but in California, you know, you don't have to necessarily go in front of voters and convince them to vote for you. Your number one job is to convince the, the elite, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In California, you need to impress the donors, you know, the young ones and the old ones. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you also need to impress the celebrities. So by being having her position in San Francisco, she was rolling with all the top donors, all the top celebrities, all the reporters even, mm. and sort of she learned the political machine. Show up, demand a seat at the table, and they're going to hand it to you. And so she did that very well. That worked well in California. And her and Gavin Newsom were sort of facing a real clash as, as they were looking yep. for the next governor. And then lo and behold... Barbara Boxer steps down. That's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a great point, Charlie, because what it takes to rise in California politics is an insider's machine game. It doesn't have mm-hmm. anything to do with like talking to voters and trying to get people what it is that they're wanting from their government. You just placate the celebs and the rich mm-hmm. people enough to rise up in the Dem Party and hope that you can It's democratic politics stage. in a nutshell these days. Right. Yeah, right. And and she she really wowed everybody, and everybody was and the me- national media was talking about her as the next Obama. They viewed yeah. her through that lens. One hundred percent. I remember. Even that. when she kicked off her campaign, a lot of donors and and party elites considered her the next Obama. Wow! Until she set foot in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Whoa. That was really yeah. culture shock. <laughs> right. Right. So and, she'll blame racism and sexism of Iowans. You know, for never getting ahead. Towards the end of her campaign, she was just like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Everybody's so sexist and so racist, oh. and I'll never make it. Right. They'll never elect a woman president of the United States. But, yeah, I think most people knew that it was something more. So yeah. in all of the research that you did, all of the interviews, what do you think is the most surprising thing they learned about her? Yeah, Because we I, all see her as, like, this weird robot, but mm-hmm. from everything that you've seen... What what's the Kamala Harris that none of us have, have known? Yeah, I guess it's what I mentioned earlier, just how few Democrats like her mm. and how she's just really kind of waiting them out. She's like, I know you don't like me, but I'm here. But you can't get rid of me. You can't get rid of me without angering your base. You can't replace me. Wow. Um, so she's literally waiting Joe out. Uh, if he gets reelected, and, you know, Nikki Haley, I think, is the one that sort of hammers this home. This isn't an election for right. President Joe Biden. This is an election for President Kamala Harris. And wow, she could take power without ever running through another election, never going back to Iowa again. And that's how they, you think that's how they view the world? That's how I she think views how it. she views it, yes. Yeah. Incredible. Look, if you look at Joe Biden, who thought Joe Biden would ever win as, as, as president of the United right. States? He was a laughing stock. He was a joke in Washington during the Obama years. Totally. So if you look at that, she has to wonder, like, if I just wait him out, I can prove him all wrong. Yeah, I mean, he's 82, just, yeah. right? He's got, like, I mean, there's just a number of things that are quite yeah. obvious to the naked eye mm-hmm. that would lead you to believe that someone is probably not able to do another four years. Yeah. And that's that's basically her calculation. Right. Is you can't get rid of me mm-hmm. because to do that will be to get rid of your base. Right. That's why Gavin Newsom ultimately had to back down. He, he yeah, was out there parroting around in the in the primary, and then finally they were like, okay, cut it out. You're done. You've right. had your fun. He, he sort of 
back down and rich uh, white guy not allowed. So that's yeah, that's the that's going to be the thing. If Joe Biden doesn't make it to election day, which Trump is openly talking about predicting, like I don't think he makes it. Yeah. What happens to this party if Kamala has to stay, step in for Joe? Insta- Your takeaway from all of this is that it's a fait accompli that it's it's her. Yeah. And it is what it is. Or there's enough donors in the party. This is during the campaign, right? If if Joe doesn't make it till election day, it's going to be absolute chaos. Everyone's going to want to be the next candidate. There's going to be donors with money coming out of their pockets freaking out. We can't have Kamala. We need you. We need you, Pete. Time to get in there. We need you, Liz. Liz Warren, we need you in there. Uh, what a perfect but, description as to why it is that they are making Joe Biden run for re-election. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They know Kamala can't win. Yeah. Can't beat Trump at right. this point. So he has to run again. Yeah. It's a, it, it have to. And yeah. you also can't open the top on that progressive discussion in this environment. Right. And hope to compete. Right. Ah, it's so yeah, good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Listen, Charlie Spearing, thank you for doing this. Thank you for writing this book. Amateur Hour, we can get it anywhere. Yeah. Any, yep. any Anywhere books are sold. Anywhere books are sold, you should get it. I can't wait to read this. I'm bringing it home tonight. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. Listen, we're going to be back next week with King of the Hill. Uh, Duncan, obviously, is in absence today, uh, which we very much regret. But the old man's voice is very important in that game. So mm-hmm. we're going to postpone it to next week. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll throw in another game or something and have a little fun. Yeah, we'll Great see. idea. You know? Buddy, I think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much for Charlie. Get that book, Amateur Hour. No better title. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>